0: Hello all, it's Alex here from the PRS podcast team. Uh, welcome to today's episode. Today I have the pleasure and honour to talk with the Pre-Aphelite Society's chair, Serena Trowbridge, who is also a reader in Victorian literature at Birmingham City University and has a wealth of experience in publishing works on pre-Aphelite women's poetry. And she is here today to discuss her latest publication, The Poems of Evelyn and Morgan. Thank you for chatting with us with Serena. Hello. Uh, So tell us about the new book then. Um, I've had a chance to grab a copy myself and I have to say I absolutely loved it. Um, And I think the front cover is particularly beautiful. Um, If you could just tell us a little bit about the book and Evelyn de Morgan herself.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad you like the front cover because it seems particularly appropriate um, with its slightly macabre figure of death looming over the maiden. And this echoes very nicely some of de Morgan's early poems. Uh, so Evelyn De Morgan is a figure that we know as um, primarily as a painter. Um, she was obviously married to the potter and novelist William De Morgan, and um, she uh, and she was a very, a very prolific painter, uh, but. Her early life was marked with um, a very literary sensibility and we can see that carrying on into her later works. So the poems that she wrote um, between the ages of about nine and seventeen, not all of the poems, most of the poems aren't dated in fact, um, are included in the book here, um, and these juvenile poems give us a real flavour for the artist that she was to become.
0: Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, I find Evelyn de Morgan completely fascinating, but um, in truth, before I actually read sections of your book, um, I didn't actually know that much about her, uh, not just so much as an artist, but I didn't know much about her poetry at all. Uh, How did you come across her poetry? Um, Was it through the foundation or...?
1: Yes, so people don't really know much about her poetry. There's um, a very, very little bit out there and I do know that there are a couple of more publications that will look at um, some of her poems um, coming out soon. Um, so I was uh, I ran a, a day event um, on pre-Mathalite women at the Birmingham and Midland Institute, where we are today in fact. Um a few years ago, and one of the speakers was Sarah Hardy from um, the de Morgan Foundation, uh, and she was talking about uh, Demorgan's poems and of course, this was not long after I had published an edition of Elizabeth Siddle's poems, so I was very excited to hear this um so i um Sarah kindly let me have a look at some of de Morgan's um poems uh, and I found it absolutely fascinating and so quickly um hatched a plot to um publish to um, transcribe them and publish them. So that's how I found out about them. Um, they are um, held in manuscripts that are mostly in notebooks. Um, there are um, schoolroom exercise books and so on. Um, there are a number of poems, obviously, but there's also a diary, which is tiny and beautiful, a, a really special thing to hold, actually. And uh, and that also gives you an interesting insight um, into, into her life, when she was younger, uh, there aren't uh, there, that isn't included in this book, but I have quoted one or two bits from it in the introduction. So where she talks about how, for example, the day she turns 17, she feels she has wasted her life and that she <laughs> has to work harder and has to do more and achieve things and so on. And certainly she did do an awful lot um, with her life in the end. But that's kind of motivation and ambition that she had from quite a young age is really, uh, really comes across in her diary. So it's a nice sort of supplement to reading the poems. Uh, there's also a number of um, stories, which uh, many of which are schoolroom exercises, mm-hmm. you can tell, and though, again, those aren't in this book, those are where she has um, clearly taken a story from history, so for example there's quite a lot about King Alfred and the burnt cakes, that kind of thing, um, and has rewritten those stories. Um, perhaps more um interestingly there's a number of creative works um there's a child's book of a child's own book of fairy tales is one of them there's some plays there are several novels none of those are finished and quite often there'll be a note at the end of a page saying the author was here called away on more pressing business as one is when one is about 12 or 13. um so there's a lot of unfinished work but uh they're, nonetheless, and those are the stories and plays and so on, um, unfinished as they are, are included uh, in this book. And um, perhaps it will be an interesting experiment for someone to try and write conclusions to some of them. So, anyway, so that's how I came across them. I spent um, a number of um, days with the manuscripts, transcribing them. She has beautiful copperplate handwriting, which is very difficult to read. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, it was the most enjoyable experience because I did a lot of the transcription with some of my undergraduate students um, from BCU. And uh, we would all sit th- around transcribing the poems and um, showing difficult bits round and laughing together over some of the uh, more peculiar uh, phrases that she uses. Um, so so that's, that's how it started.
0: I mean it all sounds absolutely fascinating. I can I completely understand when it comes to um difficulties with transcribing material because um I'm sure all scholars at some point have come across some kind of handwriting that they just cannot decipher at all. Um I've come to you a few times actually um to look over some um look over some pieces of handwriting that I just literally just cannot translate at all. Um it's really interesting how you comment on um, the different mediums that Evelyn de Morgan um, utilises and how she's not just an artist, but she's also a poet. Um, and I can de- you can definitely get that with many women who moved in the pre circle. circle. Um, how important do you think it is to uncover um, different pieces of work from pre women artists and poets?
1: I think it's amazingly important. I think for, uh, for a long time, the pre-raphaelite women have been seen as quite one-dimensional mm-hmm. um obviously uh, uh most many of them are known more as as muses or models than they have been as creative women in their own right uh, even where those women have also been artists um uh, such as Elizabeth Siddle for example uh, it's still their face that's more famous than their work yeah. uh, so to um, to and there's been a, a gradual and recently rapidly accelerated um, uh, accrual of interest in the work of pre-Raphaelite women over the last 15-20 you know, years, uh, which is continuing to gather momentum, which I find really exciting. There's still a lot out there, however, that hasn't been looked at and that hasn't been published in terms of their poetry. So, um, you know, it's really exciting to be able to publish the poems of Evelyn de Morgan for the first time. Uh, I'm, I'm... I'm working on an anthology now of pre-Raphaelite women's poetry uh, which um, is uh, now under contract I'm very happy to say which will include a number of poems by pre-Raphaelite women that have never been viewed before so again I think I think these this voice of pre-Raphaelite women Mm -hmm. gives us a totally different sense of who these people were because um, I'm more interested I suppose in women's voices than I am in women's faces
0: No, that's a really interesting concept, actually. And I just think it's so refreshing that, um, you know, with all due respect to the likes of Christina Rossetti and Elizabeth Siddle, that we're now actually getting more and more um, female figures within pre raphaelitism that are starting to emerge as poets. I think that's so fascinating. Um, And I'm really looking forward to your upcoming anthology of that. So you'll have to let me know um, all of the details as soon as, you know, more things happen with that. Of <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask, what what makes, in your opinion, what makes Evelyn de Morgan so brilliant, so um, creatively inspiring, would you say?
1: Well, I think she would, I mean, she wouldn't, as an adult, she would never have described herself as a poet, Uh As far as we know, she stopped writing poetry after the age of about seventeen. Apart from a few poems which are inscribed in her later paintings, Mm. um, which are in fact very much in keeping with the ones she wrote as a child, Uh, and I should say that her childhood writing has a very sophisticated tone of um, uh, tone in a very um, adult way of putting things. I I get the impression that as a child she was a very good parodist, so she. She clearly is widely read, and one of the things that I've done in my introduction and also in the notes to the poems is to trace some of the things that I think she might have read, um, where she has, for example, I think she parodies, um, or at least um, uh, imitates Grey's elegy, um, for example. I think uh, she has a very gothic tone as well, and so she writes, even from a young age, something that seems quite sophisticated. Um, and if you don't mind, I'd like to read you one of her poems. of course. It's yeah. one of the shorter ones, um, and I will try to do it justice. <laughs> it's a very melodramatic description. So this is In the Pale Moonlight. In the pale moonlight, wild and dim, stands the lone ruin, drear and grim. Lichens creep o'er the crumbling wall. The dark bat haunts the silent halls. Death is heralded by decay through darkening night and brightening day. No mortal hand is raised to stay the slow advance of hoary decay. The woe-born winds of ages chime sadly within that ancient clime. In winter, when the sparkling snows shroud the bank where the willow grows, weeping o'er the ice-bound river, powerless its cold chains to sever, as it restless strives in vain to roll onwards to the main. Then the wild hailstorm hoarsely sings, death is the doom of earthly things, when the summer with baking breeze kisses the green-clad forest trees, called by the welcome voice of spring." So that's one example, and you can see how wonderfully melodramatic that is. Um, that there's some bits about doom and so on in there that uh, kind of make you smile. <laughs> and I think, like so many children uh, and teenagers, I think De Morgan really revelled in the the melodramatic, the gloomy, the gothic, uh, the kind of ridiculously exaggerated pathos of things. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot about death. Uh, Most people that are mentioned in her poems die. Most poems (laughs) end with death. Um, She finds this quite amusing, I think, and she does it so seriously um, that that you have to kind of smile along with her. So this kind of... um, uh, Adult tone coupled with this uh, almost parody makes her a very entertaining read, I think. Um, but it also indicates some of her later preoccupations in her art. So um, there are a lot of figures of death in her later um, later work. But she's um, obviously she, she goes on to be very interested in spiritualism, uh, and she uh, and her, a lot of her paintings refer to uh, an ongoing life after death um, and that is something that we see throughout her her poetry as well um even as a child though people die they always continue after death and death becomes in fact a rest and a break and a change and a journey and something to be embraced rather than something to be feared Uh, and and that's the case um throughout all of of her kind of of her poems with this gothic sensibility
0: I mean, thank you very much for that. That was absolutely beautiful. Um, I could honestly listen to you recite her poetry all day. <laughs> um, you were just discussing, actually, um, Evelyn de Morgan and the Gothic, and uh, that's a really interesting concept that you've touched on with Chris, uh, Christina Rossetti in the past. Indeed. Um, do you think that there is some kind of correlation with pre like female poets and this genre, perhaps?
1: Yes, I, I, do, I do, and this is something I would like to explore more widely. Um uh, as you said, my, my PhD was on Christina Rossetti mm. and Gothic, um, and my, so my first book was on that subject. And um, and it's something that I have thought about uh, with Elizabeth Siddle's poetry as well, although I haven't really written anything about that yet. I think there is a lot to still be explored about pre-mathelitism and the Gothic more broadly, not just the women, yeah. in fact. Um, I think part of it is to do with uh, reading, what people read. Um, for example, Christina Rossetti we know was particularly keen on uh, Anne Radcliffe's novels and um, and also on the novels of Charles Maturin, um, including Melmoth the Wanderer. So we know that um, that Rossetti deliberately responded to some earlier Gothic works in her poetry, uh, and I think that uh, De Morgan had also read some uh, mm. Gothic works. Uh, And also also gothic poetry. So I won't get into this too much now, but I think we have an assumption that you can't analyse poetry as gothic in the way that you do the novel as gothic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a mistake, because a, a lot of poetry has a very strong narrative thread. And also is very descriptive. Gothic has a particular atmosphere, doesn't it? And that atmosphere is reliant on certain things. And so, for example, the poem I just read—it has the ruins, it has the bats, it has the darkness, it has the bright gleams—all of these things which uh, create a gothic space. Um, And then the poem I read, I think, was probably one of her earlier ones, Mm -hmm. some of her later poems, introduce characters into this Gothic space and then do something else with it. So I do think that um, that Pre-Raphaelitism in its uh, very specific visual approach does have some affinities with Gothic Um, As I say, that's something I'd like to explore further at some point, but um, I won't take up too much time exploring (laughs) that aloud today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I definitely think that there is a case to make for um, discussing the Gothic in relation to career athletism and vice versa. And you can definitely see that with other artists as well and other poets. I mean, um, we we know uh, another PhD student also one of the uh, members of the of the podcast uh, committees also looking at Swinburne and Gothic yeah, uh, shout true. out to Carl by the way yeah. <laughs> um, and I definitely think there is an absolute case to be made between those two Um, I won't keep you much uh, for much longer so I just wanted to give you the chance to tell our listeners how to grab a copy of the book because obviously it's such a worthy read Um, I'm really thankful that I have a copy of it so Uh, take it away.
1: It's called The Poems of Evelyn Pickering de Morgan um, and it's published by Victorian Secrets Uh, it it's published in August 2022. Uh, It is uh, currently available on Waterstones and can be ordered through um, all bookshops I would imagine. Uh, It should be on Amazon very shortly probably by the time you hear this it will be. Um, Yeah so it should be fairly widely available I think.
0: Brilliant. Uh, make sure you all grab a copy, um, because I promise and you. And it's, it's only uh...
1: ten pounds. <laughs> <can>, it's affordable.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you don't really get that often when it comes to acad- uh, academic Eggs. books, exactly. do you? So yeah.
1: it's worth the it's worth the it purchase, a, folks. And it is a beautiful book for which it I, is. Can't, I can't take responsibility. But um, no, it, it absolutely it is.
0: absolutely is well thank you so much for coming to talk to me uh, today
1: about this it's been a real pleasure to talk about it thank you
0: and thank you all for listening uh hopefully we'll uh be able to see well not see you obviously it's a podcast we'll be able to hear well not even hear. we'll see you at the next podcast (laughs) thank you all very much for listening uh take care and we'll hear from you very soon bye